Hello, friends. It's Ann West, Executive Director of the Island Health and Wellness Foundation, with another episode of the Just for the Health of It podcast. The following is a conversation that I had with Ashley Pesek. Ashley is the Program Director for Opiate Free Island Partnership. Our conversation today is not intended to serve as any type of medical or healthcare advice. It's just for educational purposes. And as usual, we have a little fun too. This is actually my second conversation with Ashley about her work. Today, we are specifically highlighting the new syringe service program that recently opened in Deer Isle. Just a quick note, you may hear me or Ashley say OFIP during this conversation. OFIP is actually the acronym for Opiate Free Island Partnership. So I just wanted to be clear about that up front. So welcome back, Ashley. Now that we have all that housekeeping out of the way, can you remind our listeners in your own words, who you are, where you work and what you do? Yeah, so uh, thanks for having me again, Anne. We're really excited to be here. Um, so my name is Ashley Pesek. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. Um, I am employed for Aroostook Mental Health Center as the clinical supervisor for the crisis team, but I'm also the program director for the Opiate Free Island Partnership in Deer Island, Stonington. Um, and, you know, I've spent the bulk of my professional career either uh, providing uh, substance use disorder, disorder services or mental health treatment for um, people with severe and persistent mental illness. Wow, this is your second time coming on the show and talking to me and I'm always impressed with your background and um, the amount of experience that you have working not only with mental health, but also with substance use. So we're, we're thrilled to have you back. On that note though, um, can you remind us of the work that Opiate Free Island Partnership does for this community? So the Opiate Free Island Partnership is really like the very definition of like grassroots service to a community. The idea behind Opiate Free Island Partnership was to, um, you know, take evidence-based treatment services for substance use disorder that exist off island and figure out how we use funding to bring those services to the island. How do we get innovative and bring evidence-based treatment to the people that are our friends and family members and community members? You know, ultimately the goal was, um, uh, it started with a group of people who were looking at what was happening with the opioid epidemic and across the country, it was, you know, killing thousands of people. I think at the height of it, we're talking close to 80,000 people a year were dying. Um, and, and that includes in our community. And so the goal was, um, how do we take this community and ensure that even though we're remote, even though there are barriers, that we are doing everything we can to ensure that people get access to evidence-based treatment right here. Um, and so the Opiate Free Island Partnership currently has a host of services, um, everything from harm reduction, meaning things like um, linkage to medication assisted treatment, fentanyl test strips, um, our newest program, this, the syringe program, as well as um, first step to recovery, uh, to get people linked to an assessment to determine what is the appropriate level of care for them if they're ready to make changes. Um, and, um, you know, we, we have a, uh, we host a weekly program for affected others uh, to ensure that the whole spectrum of um, substance use disorder has access to care and treatment. You know, there's no wrong door. 
that is an incredible list of services. And we're certainly so thankful to have um, Opiate Free Island Partnership or OFIP in this community. One thing that I wanted to highlight though, um, on February 25th, OFIP began offering, and you referenced it when you were talking, a syringe service program. And it's actually offered at St. Brendan's in Deer Isle. The service is offered on Thursdays from five to seven can you start off by telling us what a syringe service program is? Absolutely. So a syringe service program is a way for people who are in active use and their uh, mode of use is um, to inject their substance of choice um, to have access to unused uh, needles to be able or syringes um, with the goal being to decrease um, communicable diseases uh, to make sure that we are um, doing everything that we can to ensure that people have um, people who are in active use have the opportunity to stay alive so that they can get into sustained recovery at some point. So just a, a terminology question. Sometimes we hear um, a needle exchange and sometimes we hear a syringe service program. Is there a difference between those two things or is it just a case of, of wording? So it is literally just a case of terminology and you will actually hear me utilize needle and syringe interchangeably. Um, syringe exchange program or syringe service program is the new approved terminology with the intention being that um, you know, as we think about substance use disorder, we are always doing everything humanly possible to move as far away from stigma as we can. Um, for so many decades, we have considered this disease to be a choice, a moral failing, a decision, as opposed to a biomedical condition that exists because of genetics that you didn't decide. Um, and so, um, you know, there's oftentimes nomenclature is one of the things that's being considered when we look at how do we reduce stigma. And so syringe service program actually has uh, much less stigma associated with it, much, mess, much less um, negative imagery for people. So um, the provider network has, has said that this is the appropriate terminology to use. That being said, we actually very intentionally chose the word needle exchange for some of our marketing material because we wanted to call a spade a spade. Um, and we wanted to make sure that the people who were in need understood what it was we were offering. Um, and we didn't wanna um, be perceived as, as not being direct about it um, because we're proud to be offering this service. Um, you know, we, we are, we feel strongly that there isn't a wrong door to getting into treatment. Um, and when you look at the statistics that go along with syringe service programs, um, it, it's unmeasurable what they do for communities. Um, you know, when they started looking at syringe service programs, uh, it's, it's risky. Certainly some of the feedback I've received is, um, aren't you just helping people stay in addiction? Why don't you instead send them to rehab? Um, and, you know, it's a, it's a valid question. It's an important question to ask. I want people to ask me that question because I really want to provide education. So, you know, as we think about what are the benefits to providing a syringe service program within our community, um, it, it becomes really clear that um, 
we can't hide behind that language and you know that syringe service program that's the professional terminology but what our broader community is going to understand what we're doing is a needle exchange that's what people have called it for decades um, so while we understand the professional terminology and the reason for it and we have definitely chosen to use that in certain places for example this kind of conversation um we we really deliberately put needle exchange on our on our poster because we wanted to be really clear that um this is what we're offering i really appreciate your frankness there and i do um i do think a, a term like needle exchange is something that so many people are familiar with because it's been around for so long um whereas when i hear syringe service program that does sound like something um, that's only been used for the past few months. So I'm glad you're trying to reach all of those audiences and you know, doing so in a way where you're speaking that language. Now, what did OFIP or Opiate Free Island Partnership have to do in order to get this program going on Deer Isle? Because uh, it's not something where you just put out a sign and start providing this service. Oh no, this has definitely been a labor of love. We have been at this for, I would say it's, it's gotta be close to a year. Um, so our very first sit down discussion about this happened with a staff member at Health Equity Alliance. Her name was Nicolette Yerksa. Um, and she happens to be a friend of mine. And Charlie and I had a sit down chat with her over lunch to try to talk about what are the benefits? Why do people use these services? Is this something we should be bringing to the island? Um, are there people from the island using this? Um, and, and as soon as we had that lunch, he and I both realized, oh, we need to move forward with this. We absolutely have to figure out what the next steps are to ensure that, um, you know, it really all it took was we were aware that there were people in our community who are currently using needle exchanges. And that means that there are people in our community who are having to drive an enormous amount of distance to be able to get access to a health supply for their disease. And so, you know, that's our mission is to, to reduce that need and make sure people have it right where we are. So um, we, in order to get this up and going and legal, um, COVID actually slowed it down some, but also they were changing legislation due to COVID that allowed us to, to be a little bit uh, faster when we got to some areas. Um, but ultimately um, we had to partner with Health Equity Alliance, which is the syringe service provider for Hancock County. Um, and they're providing um, the quantity of syringes coming out of Ellsworth is actually close to the quantity coming out of Portland. Um, and so, you know, we entered into a partnership with them with the objective being to, to help um, and make sure that we can, you know, service our community, but also really the Blue Hill Peninsula um, and, um, we had to, there, there were letters that had to go out to community members to make, to, to ensure that they were notified, um, including law enforcement, medical providers, treatment providers, et cetera, that they were notified of our intent to apply. And then we had to enter into an, a, par a partnership with Health Equity Alliance. It had to get approved by the CDC. Um, and then, you know, once it goes through the CDC process, it gets kicked back to Health Equity Alliance and they're the holder of the license and our site is added to their license. 
So it was a bit easier of a process to some extent because we weren't looking to open a syringe service program that wasn't affiliated with a larger program. We were essentially getting CDC's permission to add a location. And then I had to be deemed a volunteer with Health Equity Alliance in order to operate this through OFIP. And then wow. we had to find a place. And oh my goodness. That, be, that was significant as well, finding that location. But our, our friends at St. Brendan's really stepped up to the plate and we are so very grateful. Um, their partnership means so much to us because they didn't just supply us with a place. Um, you know, they were really clear, like, we want to roll up our sleeves and get involved. Like we have people in our community that have a need and that's the church's mission. So of course you can use the space, but also how can we help? And so that has been a wonderful partnership as well. Oh, that's so good to hear. I, I love this community so much. And it's amazing to me when there's a, a clearly stated need, how many different organizations and people step forward. I have to say, though, I, I've heard you say the statistic before, but it still stops me in my tracks when you say that the number of needles being exchanged in Ellsworth is comparable with Portland. Um, that just blows me away. And certainly it points to the fact that we need that service closer to home um, when it comes to the island. So how do people actually use this service? So that's a really great question. Um, it's, you know, if we think about what happens when somebody comes to a syringe exchange program, really what's happening is, I mean, you just show up as you are um, and, uh, Per, syringe service programs within the state of Maine, with the exception of during COVID, because there are some there's some emergency legislation that let this part go, but they're one for one exchange. Meaning, if somebody shows up with 50 needles and would like 50 needles back, I can give them 50. Um, and um, there's emergency legislation right now that if somebody shows up with 50 and tells me they need 100, I can give them 100. Um, wow. But the um, the intent the what really happens is they show up and they turn in used needles and they receive unused needles. And that, you know, I know we're going to get to this a little later, but that's a little bit about why people offer these programs. Um, because we're, we're doing two things. We're getting used syringes in a container where it can go to a biohazard and bag and, and end up where it needs to end up and, and be disposed of properly. And we are getting unused syringes to people who are in need so that they are at less risk of infection. Um, people leave uh, syringe exchange programs with Narcan, um, which is needed if you are in active use. Um, and they are offered, um, you know, the medical supplies that go along with syringes. We've all been to the doctor, right? We know that there's um, procedures that take place when you go to that lab and somebody sticks a needle in your arm that are done with the purpose and intention of being hygienic and making sure that we are pu putting people at the least risk possible. And so we have all those medical supplies, you know, to be able to provide to people who are in active use. Um, and that's what happens, you know, they come, they get their supplies, give us whatever supplies they need to turn in. Um, we give them Narcan, um, check in and see if they've needed it. Um, 
But I think, you know, that's the, the like operationally, that's what happened. But the silver lining of what really happened is somebody in active use just came to a professional who under, or maybe a volunteer, but somebody who's invested in their life enough to sit at that table um, and built a connection. And, um, you know, what we know from, from research is that people who utilize syringe service programs, when they're ready to make changes to their use, they already know where to go. And they also don't have to do the, the hardest part. You know, the hardest part of getting into some form of recovery is first acknowledging that you need help. Well, if I've been using a syringe service program, I've already done the hardest part. You accepted me at, at the hardest part of my life. And now I don't have to out myself to you because you already know, which means that they also know who to go to when they're ready to make changes. So, you know, I think the, the practical thing that's happening is people are walking out the door with, with unused syringes um, and we're getting used syringes off the streets. But the, the sort of um, the beauty of it is the connection that gets built. Absolutely. That I, I don't think anyone could have said it better that it, it really, it has definite practical value. But then we think about that ability to trust someone um, to be treated well, to build that connection. And then if that person comes to a point where they do want um, some sort of help for recovery resources, they know exactly where to come. And the beautiful part is they're, they're healthy um, to take advantage of that. They're not dealing with infections and, and things that come um, from not using uh, a new needle um, each time they're injecting. So I, there's just so many benefits to that. And I'm so thankful. Um, I know you are probably one of the busiest people I know. Um, and to think that you spend an evening of your week doing this, um, it just really points to the fact of, of how much you care about this community and, and the people in it. And that, that in itself is a real gift. Now, you kind of covered this, but what happens when someone actually arrives at St. Brendan? So it's Thursday, sometime between five and seven. Are they going to call beforehand? Are they just going to drive in the driveway? How does that work? So just drive in the driveway, but because of COVID, my cell phone number is actually going to be posted um, and people are going to have the option of coming in or waiting. And if they, if, if they're, um, somebody is quarantining, um, or they're doing it, you know, their level best not to be in the community for some reason, um, they can call and I will bring the supplies out to them. Um, and we can, you know, they can put the syringes right in the box. I'll bring the box with me. They can do that from their vehicle. Um, and uh, if they, if there's, you know, if they want to talk, if they want to come in, that's also okay. But my phone number is posted. Um, and, and really our, that was about COVID. Had COVID not been an issue, I think we probably would have just, you know, had people come in the door, but we really wanted to be sure that there were no barriers, that we weren't gonna have somebody who was quarantining, uh, somebody who has higher risk and really needs to be at the least amount of exposure um, and that they chose not to use the service for that reason. So we tried to, to come up with every solution and I said, well, you know, I can walk to their car. <laughs> um, that's, you know, that's that's we can do this drive-through style. And so my phone number is out there in the event that somebody needs it brought to them. Otherwise, they can walk on it. 
Um, and we will we'll do the, ex the, the exchange right there. So are they gonna park right in the parking lot at St. Brendan's and come in like a front entrance? How does that work? How, how do they know so where to go? St. Brendan's, if you've been on the island long enough, you know that some time ago they built a lovely, beautiful addition. Yes. It's not always a part of that church. So when you pull into the parking lot, pull all the way to the back and that back part, there's a door, there's a beautiful glass door. And that is um, where I will be. Um, so it is kind of in the back. People do kind of have to come around. Um, mm -hmm. And um, again, some of that was intentional, right? The idea that it's behind and people can park in the back of the parking lot. Um, we wanted to be able to offer as much anonymity as we can. Absolutely. I think, I think you meet people where they are and being able to provide that. Um, I just want to be sure that if people are thinking about using the service, they know what to expect and that it's, you know, it's something where you and the other folks at OFIP and um, Maine Health Equity, you've put a lot of thought into how this goes um, so that it, it runs smoothly and everyone gets what they need. Now, is there any kind of cost associated with um, this service for people who use it? There is no cost associated with this. Um, it is entirely paid for by grant dollars that Health Equity Alliance works to get. Um, and you know the, um, the reason why grant dollars exist for this in the first place is, again, public health. When you're taking care of public health, you, you, you have to offer grants <laughs> to ensure right. that it can be operationalized in a way that allows anybody to get access to the care, not just people who have means. Absolutely. And what, what a great thing to be able to offer, um, again, the work and that we're so thankful to the organizations that provide the grant money and where all of that comes from so that the end result is that people on the island can get what they need when they need it without worrying about cost. Now, the program has been open for a couple of weeks so far. How would you say it's been going? Oh, slow. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, and we believe that's going to be the case for a while. Um, you know, if we think about the stigma that exists uh, everywhere with opiate use disorder, particularly uh, needle use, it's pretty, it's pretty extreme. I mean, there's even to some extent a stigma within the using community um, about other people whose m mode of transmission is injecting. Um, and so um, we expect it's gonna be slow until they trust us and that's okay. Um, and so our measure of success has, you know, we decided from the get-go, our measure of success could not be how many people walk through the door so far. Our measure of success has to be, um, are we teaching the community something? Is our, are we available? And if the answer to those things are yes, then we're doing our job. Um, ultimately, um, you know, I'm from that island. I don't live there now, but I, I consider myself a lifelong island girl. And um, one of the things that everybody talks about is like, you know, everybody knows everybody's business. <laughs> and, you know, so when we think about how stigma functions in general, and you couple that with, um, you know, if you make a decision down on the pier in Stonington before you even make it up the island, somebody in Little Deer Isle knows you did it. Um, that that that's how information spreads, that we, we 
need to be aware that people are um, to some extent assuming some risk by, by coming. And that means they have to trust us. They have to trust that we're there for their best interest, that we care about them, that we're invested in them. And that takes time. And so, um, you know, our measure of success that we set for ourselves was, did we show up? Did we get it here? And are people curious about it? And the answer to those are yes. So while I can't say it's going great in that I feel that I have been able to get syringes into the hands of people who need it, um, it is going great in that I feel that people are interested. And I, I absolutely second that. And so many initiatives health-wise that we have started on the island um, we always do so knowing that it takes time for people to trust a service and want to come for a service, whether that is a group counseling service, group recovery, anything like that, that sometimes you have to hold that space for a while and just be there. Um, and it's kind of that if you build it, they will come, yes. but it's being patient and allowing that to happen. And And I love the point that you in the meantime, are seeing these other wins that are happening. And those wins may not be the number of needles that are exchanged, but the wins are that every time you talk about it, every time that sign is in front of St. Brendan's all day on Thursday, you're educating more people and you're starting more discussions. And I, there is no way to put a number value on that, but I think it's just, it's immeasurably helpful in getting rid of that stigma that we're all working on day in and day out. Um, ultimately, what is OFIP's goal in running the program? Now you've kind of spoken to that, but if you were looking at this a year or even two years down the line, what would cause you to put the gold star on this and say, we achieved what we were looking to achieve? So I would say there's, there's sort of a couple of answers to that question. So sure. the, the first answer is um, we've really decided that our very first goal at OFIP is we want to keep people alive. We are super invested in keeping our friends and neighbors alive. Um, and so that's our first and primary goal. Um, and we believe that syringe service programs do that in a couple of ways. One, they build connection, which means people know where to go to when they're ready to, to make a change to get Narcan into the hands of people who are using, which means that we can prevent an overdose or participate in pre preventing an overdose and give them the tools to do that. Um, we know that uh, the, the reason that, that all of these grants support this, and it is a public health initiative, is because HIV and hepatitis C are deadly diseases. Um, that, you know, these are infections that are preventable and those are not the only ways that people who use syringes die. Um, bacterial infections are real. Um, when you look at the images of what happens when a syringe is used um, one time as compared to six times and the quality of that syringe, it, there is no quality left. It is essentially a serrated needle. Um, and so it is easy to look at that and realize, oh, the opportunity for infection with such a needle is so very high. Um, and so, you know, our goal is we want to keep them alive, which means get them care, get them uh, connections so they can do whatever they are ready for next, overdose prevention, but ultimately 
prevent that transmission of disease that will maybe prevent them from ever being able to get into sustained recovery because it takes their life before they have an opportunity to do that. Um, and then, you know, the ultimate sort of like the, when we think about public health measures, right? Um, this doesn't just impact people who are um, in addiction. When we are seeing used syringes in the community, there's risk of disease transmission to somebody who isn't even in addiction. And so um, we know that's a problem on the island. We've definitely heard ab about that. Um, you know, syringes being found in places that put other people at risk. This is a way to, to get those syringes out of parks. I mean, some of the data puts it as high as, and these were like, you know, inner city parks. So this is not super um, transferable to our island, but you know, there, there are parks where after opening a syringe service program, the amount of syringes found in that park went down by 82%. That's, you know, so we don't know what it's gonna look like for us, but that is a measure of success for us. You asked what I would look back at this in two years and say, was this successful? Um, so one of my biggest personal goals in this position for Opiate Free Island Partnership um, is I don't believe that people ever get into care until they are um, valued as they are. Um, I, I think that um, stigma is just so damaging um, that it makes it so very hard to show up and say, hey, I need help. Um, and so my biggest goal in this position is to create a community that, I mean, let me, let me stop for a second and correct that because I think this community is already created. Our community is a beautiful place that does everything it can to take care of everybody we can. Um, you know, I can remember the night that somebody posted that they wanted to make sure that those um, lunch balances were paid off at the, at the school. And, um, you know, the next morning she woke up and I think her goal was like 200 to $300. And it was like a thousand dollars overnight that got donated to this. Um, the turkey dinners that go out on Thanksgiving. These are things that people did to take care of their neighbors. And we do it over and over again. When there's a death in our community, we make sure that those people are taken care of. And so I'm going to see this as a win. If we get to a place as a community where more people than not value the life of somebody even when they are in addiction. And if we can use this as a way to generate conversation and um, allow for education to happen and start to change the minds of our community, because I believe that once we do that, we're a really strong community and we have a rich history of taking care of each other. And I think that when we get to a place where it's safe for people in our community to say, hey, I need help, um, that I think we're gonna see changes to the amount of people who are willing to consider something like medication assisted treatment. The amount of people who are willing to say, hey, I need Narcan because until it's safe for them to do that, we're still gonna see underutilized services on our, on our island. And I, I think that this is a great way to get people talking at what's at the core, right? I mean, definitely there is a lot of feedback about why would somebody do this? Why would we open a syringe service program? And um, I like, I just want, when I hear that, I'm like, bring it. I want to have that conversation because I want people to understand like, 
I think it's such a basic concept. Are you invested in your community members living? Because almost all of us across the board are going to say absolutely. And if that's, if that's our sole purpose is right, we can agree on that. We might not all be able to agree with or get on board with how that happens. It definitely makes conversations like why does medication assisted treatment need to be in the bag of tricks available to people? Why do syringe service programs need to be available? Why do we need to provide Narcan at no cost? And those subjects become talkable when we get down to, well, we all agree we want everybody to live. And so for me, that's going to be the win. If this creates conversation in our community that lets us take the next step in um, whatever, whatever it is we need to, to do to get to a place where stigma, stigma is reduced enough that people are willing to come in for care. I think that's such an important point. Um, and it's something that is so easy um, to overlook in, in the whole scheme of things because there's so many things mechanically to running a program you know, medically assisted treatment, all of that. But really when we step back and we look at it from afar, what we're doing is we're valuing our neighbor's life. And I don't think that there's any better example than uh, of the pandemic um, and wearing masks. We wore masks to protect others. They wore masks to protect us. Um, and really, if we can get that same attitude for everything, including um, people who are using substances, what a huge difference um, that could possibly make. So thank you for being a visionary. I think sometimes it can be discouraging when we look at numbers and we see, you know, the overdose deaths continue to climb and, and things like that. But you're absolutely right that we need to start somewhere. And one of the things that we've always kind of run up against is that there are resources available throughout the state but really we expect people in one of the most difficult times in their lives to pick up the phone and call a complete stranger and reveal the depths of what's going on in their life. Um, but if we can make these connections so that when the person is ready for help, they're not reaching out to a stranger, they're reaching out to someone that they already know and trust, how much better and more therapeutic that that process is going to be. So thank you for being that person. Now, how can we as a community support what you're doing? That's such a great question. So um, I would say the first thing is, if you know anybody who's in addiction, send them my way. <laughs> um, even if they are not somebody who's using syringes, if they want to visit me Thursday night to get Narcan, come on over. Um, and um, you know, I, I'd say the next thing is, you know, broadcast this. We've got a Facebook post, send it around, make sure it gets shared so that hopefully, you know, we, we don't know who needs this program. We might think we do, but we don't. Uh, be an ear, be willing to listen, be willing to give them a ride there, <laughs> um, be willing to talk about it. Um, and, uh, you know, roll up your sleeves. <laughs> there are times when I, we need bag stuff or additional people trained to, to offer Narcan training, additional people trained to uh, run the syringe service program. As you mentioned, I'm pretty busy. <laughs> a lot of kids yes. right now, we have several members of our community who have volunteered to be a backup if I can't be there. Um, but you know, 
if this gets rolling and we have a lot of people who need it, I could see a time where we might need more hours. And if that happens, we're going to need more of our community to pull it off. Absolutely. And this community is a community of helpers. And I think if there's one thing that these podcasts have really stressed is that there's something out there opportunity-wise for everyone to help this community in some very meaningful way. So what I will do in the show notes, Ashley, is I will put OFIP's um, contact information as well as your phone number again um, so that people can reach out if they're interested in helping, even if it's just to get on a list. So when this grows, if they're needed to help for a shift or, or do whatever, that they can be on that waiting list. Now, I've said it during the podcast, you and you just said it, you are a super busy person. So I'm not going to hold you on on the phone any longer, but I want to thank you so much for the work that you're doing. Um, please go back to the board at OFIP and let them know how much we appreciate the amount of work that went into getting this program set up and, and supporting the rest of the programs that you do. And I really look forward to catching up with you in a few months and hearing all about how it's progressed. Thank you so much for having me. And as always, it's a pleasure to chat with you.